Welcome to The Crossing, the sermon podcast from Washington National Cathedral. We're so glad you're with us, and we hope this week's episode gives you comfort and inspiration. Be sure to check out our other Crossing podcast, Tower Talks, where you can find untold stories from cathedral docents, volunteers, staff, and artists who have each helped make the cathedral into the national treasure we all love. And now, enjoy this week's sermon. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. His steps were slow, careful, precarious. But John Robert Lewis knew the way, and his gaze was steady. It was a Sunday in March 2020 on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Not unlike that first fabled Bloody Sunday 55 years before. Now as then, the breeze was cool, the late winter sun soft, and the water below brown and swirling. And he was back again, walking the old path. No one said it, but everyone knew it. John Lewis was dying, the victim of cancer that would kill him within months. And yet here he was, just weeks after his 80th birthday, standing once more above the Alabama River. He was handed a microphone. His body was weak, but his voice was strong. It was a voice whose preacherly cadences had been honed decades before as he delivered sermons to his family's chickens in Pike County, Alabama. He used to remark that comparing that experience to serving in the United States Congress, the chickens came out better. Hear John Lewis's voice. On this bridge just a few short years ago, a few of the children of God started on a journey. Hear John Lewis's voice. They'd been there, he said, because of Martin Luther King Jr. and because of the saints of old. Hear John Lewis's voice. We were beaten, tear-gassed, bull-whipped. On this bridge, some of us gave a little blood to help redeem the soul of America. To redeem the soul of America. John Robert Lewis was not a saint of old, but a saint of our time and he was summoning the nation to be what it had long said it would be, but has failed to become. I've never known a saintlier man. He was willing to die for the gospel and for the Declaration of Independence. He was open to grace, and he was an example of conviction, of courage, and of love in the face of hate. This is All Saints Sunday. In Greek, sainthood is derived from a word meaning to set apart or make holy. Generations of believers have held that some lives are in such harmony with the ideals of God that they should be singled out for contemplation and for celebration. But let's be honest. Saintliness tends to be more intimidating than inspiring, doesn't it? They're saints, we're sinners. So what else is there to say? Yet here we are, you and I, gathered together in a belief and a hope that obedience to Jesus' command to do this in remembrance of me might bring some measure of order to a world of chaos 
some measure of hope in a maelstrom of fear, and some measure of light in a universe given to darkness. And we're in a good place to think on these things. This cathedral is built on the hilltop of a capital city. Here, we are understandably consumed with matters eternal and temporal, with questions of principle as well as of power. And the architecture of this place seeks to illuminate a path not only upward, but forward. Forward to a world where grace and kindness at least have a fighting chance against appetite and ambition. And yet, we so often fail in this well-fought fight. That's to be expected, and that's why we have to be open to the saints who call to us not because we're perfect, not even because we're good, but because we're human. Because in a real sense, we are Lazarus, vulnerable and mortal. The story of Lazarus in the gospel this morning is like saintliness, compelling but remote. Jesus raises a man from the dead. He reverses the very order of things, and he does so with a word, Lazarus come out. And Lazarus comes out, out from the dust and the stench and the darkness, back into the world of the living. And from Isaiah and John the Divine, we see that the resurrection of Lazarus is a signal of what is to come. Death will be no more, mourning and crying and pain will be no more. That is the great promise and the ultimate hope of our faith, that death will be no more. It's a promise, thankfully, made to saints and sinners alike, which is really, really good news if you're a sinner like me. But good news is in pretty short supply in our own time. Ours is an hour of declining trust and growing extremism, an hour of widely accepted lies, an hour defined by the primacy of an impulse for brute power and by a deadly dearth of neighborliness. And this isn't hyperbole. It's the raw, discernible, inescapable fact of the matter. Our sacred faith and our secular constitution are both founded on a realistic view of human nature, of you and me. We're frail and we're fallible. And the aim of the American Republic was not perfection, but a union that might prove, in the fullness of time, more perfect. Experience teaches us that injustice is endemic to political life. And the tragedy of America is that we can imagine justice, but cannot finally realize it. More than half a century ago, from this pulpit in this place, Martin Luther King observed that the arc of a moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Bends, not swerves. But what we can miss in this cold-eyed vision of history is that the arc won't even bend if there aren't devoted Americans insisting that it swerve. And that's why saints are so vital. Unlike most of us, saints reject the tragedy of history. They reject the tragedy of life. They walk with Jesus himself. The path is not smooth, it's rough, 
It's not comfortable. It's rugged. But the injunction of the gospel, remember, is to take up one's cross, not take it as it comes. In pointing toward the perfect, saints insist that a moderate course is no course at all, only a continuation of the wrong. Saints understand sin, but they choose to see the depravity of the world not as something to be accepted, but as something to be fought. And the perennial fight within this city and within this nation and within our own lives is that the mission defined by John Lewis and the civil rights movement of the 20th century is to redeem the soul of America. In Hebrew and in Greek, the word soul also means breath or life. The soul then is what makes us us, whether we're speaking of a person or of a people. And at its best, America's soul has been animated by the proposition that we are all created equal, that we are, in John Lewis's phrase, all children of God. John Lewis knew that. He lived that. He risked everything for that. He knew that tomorrow could be better than today and that tomorrow was yet a prelude for a yet more glorious day after that. We need not be saints, thankfully, to follow him across that bridge and into the light, into a more perfect union. But follow we must. March we must, however slowly, however carefully, however precariously. And if we do, and with God's help, when we do, then perhaps, just perhaps, we can save our country and our souls.